all these phone calls came in from our friends and relatives from Germany about how this crisis was evolving almost overnight turned into a pandemic. How does that lead you to wanting to become one of four members of Germany's Corona Investigative Committee? How does that happen? This PCR test is incapable of telling us anything about infections. It's about creating fear so that people will not ask any questions, but do as they're told. There was a paper that was leaked called the panic paper. Is the panic paper a public paper or is it a private paper that we cannot see? The things that are stated in there is make children feel responsible for the tortured deaths of their parents and grandparents if they don't adhere to all these anti-corona regulations. How come more people haven't come together to want to do something about this yet? Because only now do people begin to understand that this is not something that's going to be over within a very short period of time. I just want to make sure the right people are held accountable. So, you know, in the end, you know, in the end, it's going to be the governments who are going to be held accountable. That's great. But going up against Deutsche Bank and Volkswagen was almost the training ground for you to go up against this one. We believe that the facts are going to take us right there to the people who are actually responsible, not just to the puppets, the marionettes, but to the people who are really pulling the strings. My guest today is Dr. Reiner Fulmich, who is currently in Germany. He is a trial lawyer licensed both in Germany and in the state of California. And uh, some of the work he's worked on in the past, uh, uh, huge lawsuits against Deutsche Bank, Volkswagen fraud. And now he's one of the four members of the Germany Corona Investigative Committee. So with that being said, Dr. Reiner, thank you so much for being a guest on Valuetainment. Thank you very much for having me. Yes. So... You know, you work on these two cases with Deutsche Bank and Volkswagen, if you don't mind kind of talking about that, how did that lead to from working in that industry to all of a sudden you want to go out there and pursue coronavirus committee? I mean, how does that go about? So if you don't mind taking a moment sharing with us what you did with the Deutsche Bank and Volkswagen and how that led you to what you're doing right now. Well, um, it was part coincidence and part experience, I'd say. Um, back in uh, March, my wife and I were living in, uh, in Northern California. We have a ranch there. And we were staying there from early February until late May. Uh, then we moved back to Germany. Um, I was hoping to be able to get back as soon as possible, but that was not possible. And that's why we took our dogs with us. Um, but um, up until then, I had had a lot of experience as a trial lawyer going after fraudulent corporations like VW and Deutsche Bank. D uh, Deutsche Bank in particular, I used to work for them, by the way, in the early 1990s. Uh, I worked in Japan wow. and, my, yeah, and my boss then was uh, someone who was later to become CEO of Deutsche Bank. But And Deutsche Bank used to be one of the best banks in the world. Um, with a sterling reputation. However, in the early 1990s in Japan, I realized that things were changing, that Deutsche Bank was ready to do anything for, um, for a dollar and uh, didn't really care about the law anymore. They felt like they were above the law. And that's why I left, um, because that's not what I had studied law for. And I left, I went back to Germany, went back to the University of Göttingen, where I taught. I was a professor for a while. Simultaneously, I was uh, having my, I was building up my law practice until eventually I just wasn't able to do both things at the same time anymore. So I switched and uh, my small law firm with then 14, 17 lawyers, uh, decided to um, go after Deutsche Bank for their 
um, fraudulent loans for um, actually, what do you call this? this? This is what eventually blew up in the United States. First in the United States, just like the VW scandal blew up in the United States first. But in Germany, nobody really cared about it um, because the government believes that this is one of the corporations that are so important for the German economy that you can't really go after them. So even though it's not spelt out in this way, um, many Germans and even some of the judges in Germany believe that they have to take special precautions that they cannot apply the rule of law to Deutsche Bank. Um, it was for predatory lending, uh, for uh, financing through a bunch, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of agents going out and going to people's, going into people's homes and uh, pers persuading them to buy a piece of real estate so that they would create additional income in terms of um, rental income, which would then be um, good for their an additional pension plan, so to speak. Without telling them, however, that these pieces of real property were vastly overpriced. Like they sold them at two times, actually even in many cases, three times its uh, fair market value, uh, basically defrauding the people who, um, who they wanted to be their customers by telling them all, by giving, giving them all kinds of false statements. Um, I, I don't want to go into the details of this because there's too much legalese sure, around this. But sure. There were blatant lies, blatant yeah. lies. Uh, very similar, the uh, VW diesel fraud case, they sold their cars, which were functioning cars, of course, but which did not really uh, comply with, especially the California emission standards. But they and they had put in this so-called defeat device, which um, was okay on a, on a test stand, but once the car moved out into the real world, uh, the emissions were much, much higher than they should have been. So two big cases of fraud, and I had, I had gathered a lot of experience in, in a courtroom with these cases. That's why, I, that's why I'm saying um, I was ready for this, uh, but I wouldn't have wanted to take this case on. It's just that uh, the Corona case, um, but it's, um, I was used to this. I was used to so sort of running against the, into a wall, even in court, because parts of the judiciary had been, well, are not as independent as they should be here in Germany, because uh, politics try, tries to exert, exert quite a bit of influence on the judiciary as well, simply because of the notion that Germany is an export-oriented country and this Deutsche Bank is one of the, is still one of the largest banks in Germany and mm -hmm. we need it. And VW, of course, is one of the cornerstones of the German economy by producing as many cars as possible and selling them all over the world. So they're sort of above the law, at least in Germany, but not in the United States. So, so by the way, are you still with, uh, friends with your old boss who uh, ended up becoming a CEO or no? No. You're not friends. And did he fire you or no? What happened? With the, were you fired or you just left? No, you know, you have to you have to keep in mind that I did not work for them as an attorney. I didn't do any legal work. Okay, I, I was it. there in charge of their um, uh, business in, in Japan. And uh, there was only one instance when they needed me as a lawyer because I I'm trained uh, as an American, as, a, as an Anglo-American lawyer as well. So they needed a couple of contracts to be written up by someone who knows what they're doing, and that was me. And this instance uh, convinced me that I just couldn't stay with them any longer because it involved another 
big fraud. This time, no consumer was defrauded, but um, the uh, French um, uh, bank supervisor authority was defrauded. I'm not going to go into any details, but I got it was it. not legal. I, I thought, well, I'm not really harming anyone, but this is not what I wanted to be as a lawyer. So I left. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I, I was going to say you're the wrong person to fire because if somebody fires you, you're going to come back, come after them and sue them. And uh, that, that makes for a good story. But OK, so how do you go from Deutsche Bank? How do you go from Volkswagen? I mean, these are in Germany. These are behemoths. These are gods. You know, this is like you going after Ford Motor Company in U.S. This is like you're going after Bank of America or, you know, Chase. You're not going after anybody small. And maybe even bigger because Germany is a smaller country and economy than uh, than U.S. is. But how does that lead you to wanting to become one of four members of Germany's Germany's Corona Investigative Committee? How does that happen? Okay, well, I, what I just told you is the experience that I have and the frustration tolerance that uh, I have developed over the years by just not giving up. Keep going. You're going to get them in the end. Truth will prevail. Um, but now comes the um, the uh, well accident more or less um, my wife and I were just sitting there on our ranch playing with our dogs I was running every day uh, trying to recharge my batteries and then we got all these phone calls came in from our friends and relatives from Germany about how this crisis was evolving and how what I thought was just the seasonal flu almost overnight turned into a pandemic and how people began to be really concerned about this is really dangerous, this is deadly. And one name kept coming up, Professor Drosten. He's uh, the leader of, uh, he's, he's the uh, chief virologist at a German, well-known German, probably one of the largest European hospitals called Charité, which is in Berlin. And it's a, it's a university hospital and it serves two universities at the same time. Now, I had never heard of this guy before, but I knew that he was the one who was promoting all of a sudden overnight. He had changed his mind. Before this, he kept telling everyone, oh, this is going to be not so serious. You're not have, you're, you don't have to worry. Most people won't have any symptoms. It'll, it's, it'll just go by, just like the seasonal flow. And as though somebody had given him a signal overnight, he changed his tune to this is extremely dangerous. We, we're going to have to do something. And he had kept advising our politicians, and it turns out, through a whistleblower, we know now, he was the only person that our government consulted, the only person. Now, this is a gross viola violation of the Roman principle of audiato et altera pars, which means you have to listen to the other side, in particular when you make decisions as far-reaching as, as the ones that were taken by the German government, the lockdown, the suspension of all of our constitutional rights for an indefinite period of time. You have to listen to the other side. And obviously there was another side, except nobody listened to it because the mainstream media and everybody else who had been brought into line, probably we, we don't know who really is behind this, but some powerful people, some corporate interests are behind this definitely because you just have to follow the money. And then you will realize pharmaceutical industry is making lots of money, tech industry is making lots of money. So their representatives are the ones who are pushing this. They're the ones who are pulling the strings. But the people out in the open are Professor Drosten and then the uh, leader of the German equivalent of the American CDC, which is RKI is what it's called. His name is Wheeler. He's a veterinarian as the head of the German equivalent of the CDC. And then there's uh, the third person is uh, Mr. Tedros, a philosopher. 
who runs the uh, World Health Organization. So um, I couldn't, I didn't quite know what to make of this. So I called a good friend of mine, someone who knows a lot about medicine. And this, this guy is the one who, um, who stepped in when 12 years ago, we had a very, very similar situation with the swine flu. That's my friend, Dr. Wolfgang Wodark, who back then was in a position of political power because he was a member of the German Bundestag, which is like the Congress. And uh, he was also a member of the Council of Europe. So he had a lot of power. And the only reason why back then that attempt of a massive lobby attack uh, kind of backfired. But if there's still movies from 12 years ago, which I uh, looked at and I couldn't, I just, I thought it was about today. Um, the, same, the same people who advanced the theory of everybody's gonna die, did it back then, including Professor Drusten, including what's his name, Neil Ferguson of the Imperial College of, uh, of England. Um, they all pushed this story. Eventually, of course, as we all know now, unless uh, we have forgotten about it, that was just the common flu. No more serious than the common flu. And by the way, that's what this is. The, the uh, WHO just issued a statement which confirmed that Professor Ioannidis's position of Stanford University uh, is correct, that the mortality or the lethality of this virus, whatever it is, is no worse than the common flu at 0.14%. So uh, my friend uh, Wolfgang Wodak told me, you have to look at the other side. Check out Ioannidis at Stanford University. Check out uh, Professor Levitt, who is a Nobel Prize winner. They're all of the same opinion. Plus, then he advanced some more names from Germany, German professors, Merling, Bakhti, et cetera, et cetera. I spoke with many of them, or I watched their videos, and they all came to the same conclusion. Whatever we're dealing with, this is no worse than the common flu. So I decided mm, I'm just going to wait and sit and wait until it's over. But my wife kept telling me, Reiner, we can't do this. We're going to have to do something. You're a lawyer. You know how to do this. I said, no, I'm the only one out here because I can't see any other lawyer. So I asked again, I asked Wolfgang Wodak, is there anybody else of the, in the legal community? Is there any other lawyer who's doing something about it? And he told me about a woman by the name of Beate Banner, who is well known here in Germany. She's a specialist in medic, medical law. And uh, the next thing I knew about her is that she spoke up and then she was arrested and put into a mental institution. So that was uh, kind of motivating. Wait, she, was, she, was put, she was put in mental institution? Yeah psychiatric ward. Uh, she came out after a few days, but um, that was not, that was extremely discouraging. Wait, th this lady, Beatra Bana, who was known in Germany, was put into a mental institution. Yeah, for who, mental who, instability, simply because she had a different opinion. Um, but, but who has the power to make that happen? I mean, who, who called the shots to say you're going to a mental institution? That's a very good question. It's the executive. We have, we just like in the United States, of course, we have a separation of powers. We have the legislative power, we have the judiciary, and we have the executive. Sure. Now, just like in the United States and almost everywhere else in the world, this separation of power has been almost, almost destroyed because at this point, uh, we're not being run by our governments, but rather by the executives, by uh, the by the local governors, for example, 
Uh, but it's not the lawmakers who we voted into office who are calling the shots by making laws, but it's rather it's the executive that uh, is calling the shots by making all kinds of regulations that, as for example, the uh, I think the Michigan and the Wisconsin Supreme Court and a federal court in Pennsylvania has spelled out in very in very uh, explicit terms. You you're not an emperor. You can have um, emergency orders for a couple of days, but no longer than that. Then the legislature uh, the legislature has to step in. You have to involve them. Same thing's happening here, and that's why we have all these orders about mandatory mask wearing and social distancing, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and, and that's why the judiciary has to step in. And finally, it is stepping in here in Germany. First, uh, it first happened in uh, our neighboring country in Austria. Their constitutional court only yesterday issued an order saying that very same thing. Uh, you cannot have the executive run amok. You have to Uh, get back to getting the legislature involved uh, and have a general discussion about what's going on. You cannot just follow one single opinion that's out there. Um, yet there are other scientists who may have a completely different picture of this story. Yeah, that's pretty intense. So, so that led you to want to go and pursue this even more in Germany. Okay, so I have a few questions for you that are very basic questions, but you know maybe... For someone like you that's in your world, this is how I process it. I'm curious to know how you process it. So for me, we are in shambles around the world in March, April. U.S. shuts down travel from China to come in. Then sports shut down. Then hotels are going to 25%. Then if you're not a, you know, uh, a, uh, uh, what do they call it? The business. If you're not a essential business, you have to shut down. People are working from home. And the majority of us they're kind of sitting around saying maybe this is true let's just follow orders this is what we're supposed to do fauci knows what he's doing this person knows what he's doing let's follow it let's go if i'm an attorney my interest is how was this caused who started it who needs to be held accountable to it and in what way because That's i exactly. think if that part is not done what makes us believe this will not happen the next time for example the germans had to pay reparation to the Jewish community, and they just ended up paying their last payment, I think 2008 or 2010. And that was a long time. So other countries are like, I don't ever want to do that because I don't want to pay that much reparation. So it was a, you know, a way of being punished. So you're an attorney, you know, who, who, how are we going to hold the people accountable who started this? Forget about who's politicizing it. We'll get to that next. But how are we going to hold the people accountable that started this whole thing that affected and pretty much stopped the whole world within 90 days after us finding out about it in China? Well, those are the exact same questions that I asked myself uh, together with Wolfgang Bodak. Um, he too said, we have to first find out what is really going on. We have to know about the real facts, not just uh, uh, believe the narrative that uh, the government is telling us, but we have to take a much closer look And then he put me in touch with another attorney, a woman attorney by the name of Viviana Fisher. Uh, she's an economist and an attorney. And uh, my wife and I, plus our dogs, flew back to Germany. I got in touch with her. Uh, and uh, two more lawyers who I had known from my work at Transparency International, which is a anti-corruption NGO, um, uh, which I used to work with. And uh, we got together and we decided 
it doesn't look like the government is going to take a closer look at what's going on. Uh, so we're going to just take over and we're going to do what the government's supposed to do. So what we're, what we're doing basically with this investigative, Corona investigative committee is we were almost acting like a moot court uh, or it was just like, a, it was almost like a mock trial. We decided to ask four or three basic questions. How dangerous is the virus really? The second question, how, uh, how much can we trust the PCR test, the positive results? What does it really mean? And the third question, which is really a two-part question is, how much damage do these anti-corona measures do both to the economy and to the health and well-being of the, of the world's population? Now, the latter is very easily answered. This is probably the worst crisis that the world has ever been in, with so many people dying, in my view, in our view, after all of what we've heard um, from our expert witnesses, completely in vain, people who didn't get an operation, surgical procedures that were postponed, therapeutic measures that were not done. My sister is a nurse. She works at a hospital in my hometown in Bremen, which is a port city. And she kept telling me, Reiner, there's something wrong. Um, this entire hospital is almost empty. There's no one here. And uh, we're still waiting for all these COVID patients, but there's no one coming. Finally, she had two COVID patients. They died. One of them was 80-something, and the other one was 45, uh, but she was a, um, a crack addict. So what we initially thought would hit us like a wave because of all the announcement of Drosten and in England, uh, what we thought would be a real pandemic turned out to be the common flu. Or if it is something different, it's no more lethal than the common flu. But back then, when we started our work on uh, July 10th, uh, we didn't know that. We just had questions. We wanted to know, we wanted to get answers to these questions. Now, the last question I just answered, the first question is also simply answered because that's what the WHO just came down with um, uh, by uh, explaining that they agree with Ioannidis' um, assessment that this is no worse than the common flu at mm -hmm. a mortality rate of 0.14%. So the most important question was, what is it with these PCR tests? Because if there's no real danger what are these PCR tests telling us? Because the government kept telling us it tells you how many people are infected with whatever. So that's what we concent what we then decided to concentrate on. We asked a bunch of scientists, Professor Kemmerer of the university, she's an immunologist of the University of uh, Würzburg here in Germany, Professor Kapell, who's um, uh, from the Netherlands, another immunologist, and there's Dr. Arve from uh, Austria, a microbiologist. Another immunologist was uh, Dolores Cahill. She's great from uh, Ireland. And each and every one told us this PCR test is incapable of telling us anything about infections. Then I looked up, this is only, this came out a couple of weeks ago. Then I read an article by uh, someone who is a real heavyweight in the pharmaceutical industry, the former vice uh, president of Pfizer, he was, I think, uh, for 16 years, he, he was vice president, and he was also a, uh, the uh, chief scientist. And I read up what he told us about the PCR test. Before I did that, I looked at all the videos I could find of Kerry Mullis. Kerry Mullis is the inventor of the PCR test. He uh, got a Nobel Prize for it. He died, unfortunately, last, late last year. And he, um, in, on numerous occasions, told everybody that his PCR test is a great test, but it is not good 
for detecting any infections. And an additional problem with this PCR test is that um, what, what, what happens is with these swabs, you take molecules of um, fragments of molecules from the body, which are totally completely invisible to the human eye. So in order to make them visible, you have to kind of blow them up, amplify them is what they call this. Um, put them into a machine, then they're amplified until finally they become visible. Um, at how many cycles, whatever becomes visible is very important because this is the general agreement right now across the world, including uh, scientists who uh, write articles in the New York Times, which is another one of the mainstream uh, media. They all agree that anything above 35 cycles makes no scientific sense anymore. A German, a leading German uh, public uh, health agency in Frankfurt, they're saying we discard, we disregard anything over 25 cycles because we realize that it tells us a lot of things, but nothing about infections with this virus. Now, these tests, the ones that we're talking about, the Drosten test was set at 45 cycles. So it was, this is what we believe now, it was deliberately set to produce as many positive results as possible. Now, uh, Dr. Yeden of uh, former uh, Pfizer, uh, he says these tests are completely useless. Uh, he says this test is fatally flawed and must, four capital letters, immediately be withdrawn and never used again in this setting unless shown to be fixed. And his article ends with the following, I have explained how a hopelessly performing diagnostic test has been and continues to be used, not for diagnosis of disease, but it seems solely to create fear. And that's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. It's about creating fear so that people will not ask any questions, but do as they're told. I know this because there was a paper that was leaked um, by someone in the uh, German at the... Uh, um, office of the German Secretary of the, of the Interior. And this paper is now called the Panic Paper. And it includes explicit, uh, explicit directions uh, for the government of how to, how to create panic. One of the things that is stated in there is make children feel responsible for the, and this is a direct quote, for the tortured deaths of their parents and grandparents if they don't uh, adhere to the uh, social distancing rules, the uh, mask wearing rules, uh, uh, all these, all these uh, anti-corona regulations. So that's when I decided, when we learned this, I decided this is absolutely completely wrong. This is not about a corona pandemic. This is a, this is a PCR test pandemic, but for what reason? Um, well, this is something that I'm saying this because I can prove this in court, because all of the people who we listen to in our uh, Corona uh, committee will say, will definitely state the same things as expert witnesses in the court of law. So we can prove that the, that the uh, virus is no, no more dangerous than the uh, common flu. And we can prove that the assertion that PCR tests can detect infections with the coronavirus is definitely completely wrong. I forgot to mention that um, uh, Mike Yeadon, Dr. Mike Yeadon says that at least 94% of the positive results are false positives, if not more. Okay. And, and I've seen a lot of the, obviously you said a lot of interesting things here about the panic paper. Is the panic paper a public paper or is it a private paper that we cannot see? 
Oh, I can send it to you. It's in German. I'd love to see any, it. Yeah. I'd love I'm, to I'm see it. I'll, if you could, and if you can email it, I'll have somebody translate it because I'd love to see the, the panic paper. Uh, you know, for me, I read all this stuff and I said, okay, I go online, I listen to you give your talk, the talk that went viral and everybody was, you know, it's been translated in so many different languages, Spanish, and it's all these different languages, the 45 minute speech that you gave reading on what's going on. You started off in German, then you went in English, then it's been translated different languages. Then I go around, I think to myself and I say, okay, I'm going to be the skeptic here. Okay. The world cannot all be on the same page about this virus. Okay. There's no way in the world everybody's on the same page. Why would they? I mean, I understand all the issues we're facing in the world, especially last year, year before, Maduro, Venezuela, 5G, Brexit, you know, sanctions on China, sanctions on Iran, the Middle East challenges that was going on, the elections in the U.S. We got a lot of things going on right now in the world, a lot at the same time. It's not like it's, you know, going away. It's all happening in the same year. Okay, so could somebody politicize this and manipulate this? Great. For the populace around the world to feel free, I have to feel free to know that there are people who are willing to come together to question all of this and go to a court and win. So I know these powerful people cannot bully the rest of us that don't have access to all this information on a day-to-day basis. How come that hasn't happened yet? How come more people haven't come together to want to do something about this yet? How come everything's still going on on a day-to-day basis? It's now been accepted and everyone's just following whatever orders their governors or their state officials or the president's giving, and we're not seeing a pushback from lawyers or anyone else going up against them. Why haven't we seen that yet? It is starting only now, because only now do people begin to understand here in Germany and in the rest of Europe, probably in the United States as well, that this is not something that's going to be over within a very short period of time. Uh, it's not like uh, you can say, oh, well, maybe another month or so, because the, uh, the people who are behind this, the people who are trying to make as much money out of this as possible and who are trying to, and that's much more important, exert control over us, uh, will not let, let up so fast. So the judiciary is the last anchor, so to speak, of democracy. If global corporations believe that they're above the law, just like I explained in, in in, in the context of Deutsche Bank and VW, uh, if they believe they're above the law, and if they then decide that uh, they're going to lobby politicians in a very massive way, I'm, I'm going to explain this to you in a second, then all of a sudden you have global corporations overreaching, doing things that really shouldn't be in their power, because you have to remember uh, the WHO, the World Economic Forum, the uh, uh, United Nations, they're all private, supranational, private organizations. The World Economic Forum, for example, was invented by a German by the name of Klaus Schwab. He's a private person. Uh, this is an, an extremely powerful organization right now because they lobbied politicians through their annual meetings at Davos. You may have heard of this. Uh, that's where they mingle. And that's where many politicians who may not be the uh, toughest people in the world, but who constantly have to pretend that they're in power and that they know what they're doing, where many, many politicians are really flattered by being so close to the really powerful. So you have the self-appointed political elites and you have the self-appointed um, uh, corporate elites who are meeting over and over again. 
and the the they're they're much too close. They're so close that in the meantime they have, in some instances, usurped the government's powers, sovereign powers. For example, the most important right that we have all over the world is the right to free speech. It's the fundamental right. It's the most important right for a democracy because you have to be able to discuss different opinions, which is not happening right now. And the power to regulate this should be the government's power. But look at what's happening. My English version of my uh, video was taken down by YouTube. That's Google. So they believe that they have the power to censor us. That is not right. We have to take back the powers from them and put them back to where it belongs to the government. And we have to take a really close look at who is in government and who became too close to these corporations. Uh, but that's basically what's been happening. And I was going to tell you uh, the concrete um, uh, instance of how we became alerted to this. Um, one of us uh, happened to be watch a uh, video clip on the internet. It was filmed in May of 2019. And this was a Congress that was held by the leading German governmental party, uh, CDU, which is short for Christian Democratic Union. Uh, we have a uh, grant, what is called a grand coalition, which is ruling our country, and the stronger one of the two parties is the, is the CDU. They held this Congress in May of 2019. May of 2019. Now, you would expect all of the people who play a role in this party to be there. Angela Merkel was there. The uh, Secretary of Health, his name is Jens uh, Spahn, he was there. But in addition to that, there was this now infamous professor Dr. Uh, Christian Drosten of Charité University, the one who pushed the idea that this is going to be a really dangerous pandemic and the one who convinced the world, not just Germany, but the world, because his test was recommended by the World Health Organization to be used all over the world. He convinced the world that with PCR tests, you can see how many people are infected with the coronavirus, with COVID. Um, so he was there. And I, at first I thought, well, maybe he's a member of the CDU. No, uh, there's more. There was Professor Wheeler. He runs the German equivalent of the uh, CDC, yes, the RKI. Yes. Professor Wheeler, who is a veterinarian, how did he get into that position? Then there was Tedros of, uh, of the uh, World Health Organization. Dr. Tedros, many people think he's a doctor. No, he's a philosopher. And there were the... Uh, there were, the, the two leading um, lobbyists of the two biggest, most important, richest um, uh, healthcare uh, organizations in the world, which is on the one hand, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and on the other hand, the Wellcome Trust. They were all there. Now, this could have been a coincidence, but we kept looking and then we could see that these people had met over and over and over again through the years. And these very same people who met in May of 2019, 19, they're the ones who then called the pandemic in March of 2020, the very same people. And it was Drosten, whose a paper, which is a very, uh, he wrote a paper in, uh, in January, January 23rd, I think it was published. And the expert who we spoke with say it's really sloppy. He wrote it with other authors. It's very sloppy. Uh, but it's the one, it's the, it's the most important, it's a centerpiece of this, I was going to say, campaign of this pandemic because it spells out that with, PC, with a PCR test that he invented specifically for this purpose, we would be able to tell uh, how many, who is infected and how many people are infected. 
a blatant lie, as we now know. Um, at the same time, this is another thing, we found this out a week ago, there was a, a Chinese paper, which was also written about this pandemic and how to best fight it. Uh, the Chinese paper was very well done. And one of the professors who advises us on our committee said, the Chinese don't need any advice from the Germans. They don't need any help from us. They could have taken the Chinese paper. And now it turns out the Drosten paper was only there to convince the rest of the world to use the PCR tests in order to test for infections. The Chinese paper seems to be the one that was used by the Chinese. Now, the Chinese don't have a pandemic anymore. They understood very quickly that this is made up. Maybe they took part in making this up. Okay, so I'm a mother. My job is to make sure my kids are healthy. I take care of them. I Maybe if I'm not married, we should give them shelter, feed them. If I am married, to do my part as a mom. If I got a job, I'll go make money as well. But I have responsibilities as a mom. I'm a father. I have my own responsibilities. I go do my job. Whatever my job is, I make my 50 grand a year, 100 grand a year, 200 grand, whatever it is. I got a house, put my kids to school, all this stuff. I don't want to think about military because that's not my job. That's a soldier's job and the general's job to make sure if we have an attack, we have the right weapons. We are fully trained. We are ready. That's not my job. I don't have that responsibility. It's somebody else's responsibility. Today, the people are sitting around saying, it's not my responsibility to find out who is responsible for this. You're saying the judiciary is the last anchor of democracy, right? Okay. Yeah. So you're in Germany. Who else is coming together, attorneys from different parts of the world to want to go up and say, hey, all of you power people that did what you did, you got to be held accountable to it now. Here's what we need. What, what kind of power is there to hold them accountable, specifically since you're saying, they're not going to slow down and they're not going to stop. They're going to be pushing this until they get what they want. What kind of power do you and lawyers around the world have to push them around and hold them accountable? Well, uh, we have the power of using, asking the courts of law to step in, but we have to show in a court of law that this is not a corona pandemic, but rather a staged PCR test pandemic, which was uh, which was made up and invented for completely different purposes, for gaining for these corporations. We can't, we, we do not know exactly who's responsible. We, we see that some of the corporations that are now censoring us are in part responsible. We know some of the people who are investing their money, like Bill Gates or this, uh, Klaus Schwab or BlackRock, who are investing their money into pharmaceutical in, uh, in technical companies and also in the mainstream media so that they're going to be brought into line and they're not going to report about the other side of the story. And uh, in order to bring out this story, we have to have a court of law that uh, will take a look at the evidence that is there, not just at this one point of view, but at all the other evidence that is there. And that's what we're doing right now. We're doing this both in Germany and in the United States. I'm I, I'm, I'm going to tell you who it is, but not right now because I have to get I have to get there okay first because I don't want to um, I don't want to uh, disturb the really 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 good relation working relationship and friendly relationship that we have right now. Yeah. The United States and Canada are so important in this because they're the two countries. I think there's a third country. I think Australia, but I know my way around in uh, U.S. law. So the United States and Canada are very important for this because they're the two countries that have class actions. 
class actions mean if you have a law, if you have somebody who goes to a court of law because they feel that they've been uh, defrauded by Deutsche Bank or uh, or VW uh, or by the makers of these PCR tests by Drosden, who uh, uh, told the entire world that this PCR test is good for testing uh, uh, people uh, whether they're uh, infectious. If someone who suffered damages because of the PCR test induced lockdowns decides to go to court in order to ask the court, give me, please uh, uh, hold this guy or this corporation accountable. And if this someone then decides to tell the judge, listen, I'm not the only one. There's a couple of hundred more. There's a couple of thousand more. There's hundreds of thousands of more people who suffered the same kind of damages because their businesses were also shut down. They didn't make any money um, during the months of uh, what uh, March through June. Um, he, he may then ask the, uh, a judge to decide to allow this to be a class action. If the judge then allows this, a window opens, a, a, a time window of, I don't know, six months, seven months or so. And uh, this is going to be published wherever uh, other people who suffered the same kind of damage are. In this case, that could be worldwide because the entire world suffered the same kind of damage because everybody kind of followed suit after Dresden and the World Health Organization tried to tell the rest of the world and, and, and successfully did so uh, that these PCR tests uh, tell you about infections. And because of all the infections, we have to have lockdowns. And uh, what's happening right now is we're preparing a, law, a couple of lawsuits in the United States and in Canada. Um, this has to be done very well because this is it's important not to make fools of ourselves and it's important to do uh, the best we can for our clients. We're doing the same thing in Germany uh, and in the rest of the world, um, but in Germany, we don't have class actions. And in the rest of the world, we don't either. But what we have in Germany because of our Corona Investigative Committee is much of the evidence. So all of our colleagues who call us or write us, I can't speak with everyone because there's so many of them, or send us emails to the Corona Committee um, or to me, my law office, uh, we advise them that here you, on this website, you'll find everything you need. And we're trying to do our best. And it's really hard because it's extremely it's it's extremely hard work. Oh. We're trying to do our, our best to educate as many of our colleagues in Nepal, in uh, uh, Ghana, and all these countries as to what the facts really are, so that they then, with the use of these facts, based on these facts, because the facts are more important than the law, uh, based on these facts, they can bring their own cases in their own country or in Germany, because that's where the main perpetrator is were uh, what I would now call the main war criminal is. That's Drosten and Wheeler. My, my, uh, my question for you now would be, you know, uh, while you're saying this is, okay, so are there any other cases in the past where a country has been irresponsible on releasing a virus? I know you're going a different direction. You're going through the PC, you know, the, the, the method of the doctor who even came up with it, who died end of last year, the PCR test, and he said it's not accurate 100%. You can't just rely on this, but you watch all his videos. You're going that direction. But the release of the virus, if it started in Wuhan and it started with China, are there any other cases to make comparables to on how a country like China was held accountable to make sure they don't do that again? 
I really am not aware of this, but I am aware of the rumors, and uh, there is some substance to these rumors, I think, but uh, of uh, China or someone else um, kind of releasing this virus, of artificially creating this virus, but I don't have enough. I oh, don't that's have not my question. Concrete. My question isn't that. This is my question. Let me let me clarify my question so it makes sense. I'm not I'm not saying. Uh, 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 you know, we know it came out of Wuhan lab. You know, we know we know that part. That's not something that's not been uh, 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 validated. The world knows it came from China. What I'm asking you is that in the past, are there any other cases where a country, a handling of a virus by a country was so irresponsible that it affected neighboring countries that the world tribunal tribunal held them accountable where all the other countries are like, listen, we cannot make a mistake like that again, or else we're going to be held accountable at this level. It's going to cost us this much money. Is there any other case to go to, to say, here's what happened to XYZ country in 1948? Is there anything like that? I don't think so. I'm not aware of any. Yeah, because I think that that's, that's my concern. My concern is uh, if we ever wanted to find out and, you know, uh, test out uh, uh, how to confused and scared the hell out of the world within six weeks and a bio warfare attack to shut down the entire world. We just got a perfect, uh, you know, case study on how to do it the last nine months. Well, it's, it's uh, Robert Kennedy and I appeared at uh, one of the, the largest demonstration that was ever held in Germany. That was on uh, August the 29th in uh, Berlin. And he uh, reminded people of, a, he quoted uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt by saying, we have nothing to fear, but fear itself. And that's what this is all about. Fear is being created by way of using these PCR tests. And fear is being created in order to make people do what they're told without asking any questions. Yeah, for me, I, I just want accountability. My interest is accountability. I just want to make sure the right people are held accountable. So... You know, in the uh, end, you know, in the end, it's going to be the governments who are going to be held accountable. That's great. But, yeah, and that's why we're, but we're, but we're targeting those people who are out there in the open, who make the mistakes, who, well, they didn't make innocent mistakes, but who lied to us, who gave us false statements of fact, because they're the ones that the governments relied on. So, if we hit them, and if we can prove, and I'm sure we can. If we can show in a court of law that they lied to the people, and this particular person, Professor Drosten, lied in many, many more ways to the people because he's neither a professor nor did he ever write a dissertation. It's a fake. That's another thing that came out uh, last week. But if we can show that the government, in our case, Angela Merkel, relied on one person only, and that person is a fraud in many respects, then this government loses all credibility and it'll be easier for a new government com to come in and hopefully come to a political solution. So we don't have to wait until the end of the case that we have in, in a court of law. But in once the, the whole thing gets started and once the evidence is being, uh, once the um, witnesses are being heard in a court of law, it'll become very quickly, very clear that this is one big, I hate to use this word, but one big hoax. So, uh, you know, that's the word that you use that uh, the, the algorithms don't like. But so yeah, I understand uh, uh, many people have said that as well. You're not the only person that said it, but you seem like a stubborn man who is not going to stop until 
you figure out what you want to do because going up against Deutsche Bank and Volkswagen was almost a training ground for you to go up against this one because this is bigger than those two you went up against. But you did say at the beginning, truth will prevail. What is your plan now, the four of you? What are you guys doing as you're going right now? And what's going to stop you guys until you get, by, you get to the bottom of this? Well, we're, um, we're going to continue with our work because more and more evidence comes out. In the meantime, at first, we concentrated on who is directly responsible. Those are the three people, uh, Drosden, Wheeler, and Tedros. And, of course, the organizations behind them. The WHO is one of the responsible organizations. But then it turns out that, of course, they're the ones who are out there in the open, but there's somebody else there who's behind them and pulling the strings. We can see them. Uh, through the fog. We can see them ever clearer, but we do believe that with the help of the Anglo-American legal system, including the law of evidence, which is much more advanced than any other country's law of evidence, including pretrial dis discovery, we believe that the facts are going to take us right there to the people who are actually responsible, not just to the puppets, the marionettes, but to the people who are really pulling the strings. Do you have any idea who those are or not yet? Well, we know that some of the people who invested their money uh, are the, the same ones who invested their money in these corporations, plus the media. One of them is Bill Gates, um, but there's others uh, who like um, uh, huge corporations or, or funds like uh, BlackRock, for example. They're, all those players that come to mind may have something to do with this. However, there's no reason to be afraid. <laughs> Again, uh, there's... There's nothing to fear but fear itself because there's not a kind of monolithic antagonist on the other side, but there's different interests that are competing with each other. And there's some people on the other side who don't seem to be know what, don't, don't seem to know what they're doing because as we found out last week, when we took a closer look at uh, Professor Drosden's dissertation, it turns out it doesn't exist. It was made up only this year when people tried to dig deeper if we don't lose our nerves, but concentrate, focus on what we're supposed to do, go after the people who we can see for what they did, lying or uh, uh, telling people, uh, giving people false uh, statements of fact about the PCR test, that's going to lead us to where we really want to go. And it's going to give us, I think, a quick solution once the people, once the uh, politicians who relied on these experts come under pressure because their experts are really the emperors without clothes, if you take a closer look. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting. You know, it, it, for the people that are watching right now, what would be your final thoughts before we wrap up this interview on, uh, you know, the average person watching this is not a lawyer. The average person watching this hasn't gone against Deutsche Bank. The average person watching this doesn't wake up every morning wanting to find out more evidence. That's your job. That's what you do on a daily basis. What should the average person who's watching this, who runs a business, is trying to do whatever they can to keep their employees employed so they can go pay you know, for their rent, their daily things that they need to be doing? What are the final thoughts you have for them before we wrap up this interview? Well, um, it, it's, uh, it's two things, basically. Uh, do not give up. And keep asking questions, because the more people are asking questions, the more answers we will get, both in a court of law, but eventually also from politicians. And as I said, I don't think it's going to take us a year or two 
uh, to go all the way through with these lawsuits. Once they start and once the hearings begin, once the experts are being heard in a court of law, this is going to spread the word and people will begin to understand that not only do they have a claim for damages, but also do we have a means to make sure that this will nev never happen again by, for example, asking the courts of law to uh, uh, give us punitive damages. That's another very strong weapon in the Anglo-American legal system that we don't have in the German system, for example. It's gonna be very interesting what happens right after election. If right after election, states like California, New York, all of a sudden open up, you knew this, you know this was politicized. Uh, and, and if right after election, they still keep playing the games of what's going on here, then maybe it's a vaccine game. I don't know. Uh, we're going to learn a lot in the next four or five days on how everybody else reacts to the election, whether Trump gets elected, whether Biden gets elected, or whether we have to wait a week, two, three weeks for all the other votes to come in to find out who's going to end up being a president. But I do know the next five days are going to be very, very weird days as we're going into this election. How can people find you, by the way? Is there a website people can go to find you? Yeah, if you want to address me directly, um, I'd rather you uh, address the uh, Corona Committee. But if you want to address me directly, it's uh, fulmich.com. That's my website. We're going to put that link below. And how do they address the Corona Committee directly? How do they do that? What's the website there? Um, we're trying to have a, an English version of it, but right now there's only the German version. You do okay. get English answers, though. The German version is corona dash Ausschuss, that's the German word for committee that's spelled A-U-S-S-C-H-U-S-S dot D-E. We're going to put both of those links below for people to go follow. And if they got any questions, they will reach out to you. Doctor, thank you so much for making the time for being a guest on Valuetainment. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. So what do you think about the story? What do you think about his testimony? Do you believe him? Are you on his side? Do you disagree? Do you think what the media is saying is true? Do you think what all these powerful political people are saying is true? Or do you think there's something going on behind closed doors? I don't know. Comment below your thoughts. And you may want to share this video because I don't quite frankly know whether it will stay up or not. I have no uh, reason to believe it won't or it will. But you may want to share with others so they get a chance to see it for themselves as well. And if you watch this interview, you liked it. There's another one I want you to watch with Robert Kennedy Jr. I did, which we went really deep. And uh, click over here to watch that interview. If you're not subscribed to the channel, please do so as well. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.